This is Making Shift Happen, and I'm your host, Jen Cates. Over the years, I've coached hundreds of clients to find their ideal self through the way they nourish their bodies and minds, and now I'm here to help pass on these same strategies to you. So let's stop the madness and get your results once and for all. Let's go. Awesome. Welcome, everyone. I am so excited to have everyone join this episode because it is going to be a kind of monumental number. It's going to be number 151. Um, and here we are two years in. I'm trying to focus on interviewing folks. And today I have on Emma Gass. And she's a stress strong athlete. That's how we more or less know one another. And then when I started to kind of figure out who the heck Ammo is, because people kept talking about, oh yeah, Ammo or Ammo this, Ammo that. And I'm like, okay, what does is, what is Ammo do? Seriously. <laughs> she She's a magnificent wonder. And we're going to spend the next little bit getting to know Ammo. So Ammo, welcome. I'm so excited to have you on this episode. Thank you so much. Thanks for making me blush. It's uh, a very generous <laughs> intro and I'm just so honored to be here. I'm really looking forward to chatting and um, sharing what's going on down here in Sedona. Heck yeah. I know those red rocks, ah, magical red rocks. So let's let our listeners know a little bit about you. So give us your little elevator speech, like who you are and maybe how you found mountain biking and what you do down in Sedona. Yeah, definitely. I've had a, a wandering path, but in reflection, it really makes sense that I'm where I'm at now. It's kind of funny how that happens. I was born and raised in rural New Hampshire and had a very uh, idyllic childhood playing in the woods, building, you know, little dams in the stream in my backyard. Um, Both of my parents were collegiate athletes and are proficient outdoors people. So we never went to Disney World over vacation. We'd go on like a two week long canoeing trip. And (laughs) at the time I maybe wasn't particularly excited about that, but I really gained a passion for the outdoors, appreciation for being outside and also a certain degree of confidence um, in the wilderness. You know, I definitely Mm -hmm. feel more at home outside than I do in the middle of a city. Um, So After my childhood, I went to undergraduate college for social work and outdoor education. I really saw this intersection of being outside and the therapeutic benefits that it instills, not only in my own experience in my childhood, but then I also just started to witness the impact that my peers had had when they were outside. Um, Just the inherent positivity that you feel when you are in the outdoors, as we all know, (laughs) as mountain bikers. Um, After undergrad, I moved to Colorado and essentially was a ski bum. (laughs) And I met met my partner there um, in Vail, Colorado. And after all the snow had melted, he took me to Fruita, Colorado to 18 Road and got me a rental bike at Over the Edge. And I was pretty oppositional at first. I was a trail runner and backpacker and rock climber and bikes really were intimidating. It looked like a mechanically complex machine. And I was pretty anxious about what would happen if it broke out in the middle of nowhere, would I be able to fix it? So I had a lot of resistant um, narratives about biking, but you know, that first lap on PBR, I was undeniably hooked. It was a transcendental experience. Um, we we look back at that experience on 18 Road and, and chuckle now because it was just, you know, um, instantaneous. Um, so I got hooked on biking. I biked all that summer in Colorado. And then that following um, fall into winter, we actually traveled to Southeast Asia and did a six-week bike tour of Southeast Asia. We spent the winter skiing in Japan, and um, we just had this really beautiful adventure, which solidified our relationship. I subsequently went to grad school back in New Hampshire and got my master's of social work so I could start doing clinical level therapeutic work. Um, Long story short, We met back up in Colorado, eventually moved to Sedona, predominantly in pursuit of being able to mountain bike year round. Um, And I worked as a full time therapist for a bit. um, And that was wonderful. I really, really uh, am passionate about wilderness therapy and using 
the experience of risk as a therapeutic modality, almost as like a prescriptive level of risk. And um, five years ago, uh, we were both kind of looking for a shift in our work-life balance, a shift in professional career. um, And we started the Sedona Mountain Bike Academy out of this uh, passion for sharing the amazing experience of being on two wheels with other people. Um, So it's been five years of doing the Sedona Mountain Bike Academy. It's been full of uh, joy and growth and uh, new experiences. Um, And I'm just so blessed to be where we are now because now it's our full-time gig and I get to connect with wonderful people like you and chat about stuff that brings me happiness. (laughs) So yeah, that's a little spiel about my, my journey, where I'm at, where I'm at now. I love it. I had no idea about your history doing full-time therapy. Like this is actually quite new to me because I I hadn't actually listened to the other podcast you're on. So maybe, you know, maybe you actually talked about it with Neil, but, um, that of course is a soft spot for me. Yeah, that is totally a, that's a soft spot for me. I love the intersection of therapy and just mental health and well-being with outdoor. I mean, uh, it, it just that idea and that concept really resonate with me. So that makes, that makes so much sense. I know, right? Maybe we resonate, you know, like there was just that natural little, like a mm-hmm, uh, little vibrational hum. And I don't think it's the Sedona red rocks that are, that are making that happen. So good. Well, I'm even more stoked now uh, about this conversation. I was like already 10 times stoked before, but now I'm like up to maybe a level like 20 to a hundred. Um, so with your experience of, you know, working with the Sedona mountain bike Academy, like what were kind of the biggest hurdles you've seen so far or have felt so far with the business? Because, you know, as a fellow business owner, I know that there's always going to be these hurdles and things like that. But like, what are maybe your initial hurdles that were just like, oh, maybe this might be a little bit harder than I thought? Yeah, I never uh, identified as being an entrepreneurially minded person. I meet Mm -hmm. people who just have that spark to own their own business and that's that's their life path but that never really was magnetically calling to me um so this this endeavor was really birthed out of passion and um, wanting to offer an exceptional option for people visiting Sedona um, and really seeing the need for it. As you know, Sedona is so technical. There's just infinite number of opportunities to practice and refine your skills. Um, I would say, you know, in terms of hurdles, it's, it's, uh, the the biggest hurdles are also like the biggest gifts, of course, that sounds so Zen, but that's really, truly how I feel. Um, I got to be honest, working with your significant other is definitely the biggest hurdle, but also the biggest gift. Um, I've been with my partner for a decade and, you know, for half of that, we've owned a business together. And when we started the business, that was a conversation we had multiple times of how are we going to keep our connection sacred while we navigate this unknown together? Um, and of course it's, it's been rocky at times and also beautiful at times. There's nothing better than celebrating your wins with somebody who's also celebrating their wins. I mean, that's just ecstasy. Like when we are succeeding and making a difference or when one of us comes back from a really, really powerful lesson, like we both just do a little happy dance in the kitchen. Um, and you know, happiness is real is only real when shared, you know? So like having that, person to share happiness with is, is really beautiful, but, um, yeah, don't get me started on like the lows because <laughs> they're, yeah. they're definitely pretty intense. Um, but we've found our strategies on how to uh, mitigate tension. You know, it's kind of funny, but one of the things we do is we try to take a vacation separately. So like he'll go take yes. a vacation and I'll go take a vacation and people kind of give us a side eye, but it's like, no, that's what we need to do. Cause we spend all the other time together. So yep. Yeah, I would say that's probably biggest. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's so important. And I think I've seen it, especially like since times of quarantine, since 2020 or whatever, folks who were just like, oh, great. I had office time as like alone time and like time with colleagues. And now for people who are able to work from home and then both partners working from home, you know, my partner and I have both been working from home for like over 15 years. 
And, you know, it's kind of one of those situations where, you know, and we've been together for 14 years. So like initially we weren't, you know, living under the same roof, but it is so important just to have like alone time and separation, because if you don't have that, then you kind of forget who you are. You forget like what your passions are, what really make you sing, because you kind of start to meld as like you're a couple, but you're kind of melding a little bit and there's just no separation. So thanks for saying that because it is, it's very important. Um, I like that you took, you take vacations from one another because that is actually something, uh, yeah, my wife and I are actually bringing up, like, maybe we should do like separate girls trips, <laughs> you know, like yes. just, yes. just do like even solo trips. I mean, whatever. Um, so let, we already talked about the lows. What about the highs? What are some of these highs of, of you know, having your own business, especially, especially, especially coaching others? Yeah. I mean, there I just live such a blessed life. When I reflect on like the perks of the job, I just cannot believe how lucky I am. Um, I thank my lucky stars for sure. I would say first and foremost, when you have that magical moment of connection or that light bulb moment with a rider, um, you see the infectious joy of being on two wheels when you see that in somebody else and you're helping nurture that, coax that out, be witness to that, I just like pinch myself. I'm like, I can't believe I'm getting compensated for this. So I have the opportunity to even do this. As you yeah. are well aware, I mean, you've experienced that undoubtedly yeah. in your in your line of work. Um, I would also say, you know, I've, I've really appreciated being a part of the growing mountain bike community here in Sedona. And, you know, it's a relatively small town. It's only, you know, 10,000 long-term residents. And to help elevate the experience that visitors have when they do come to Sedona and also strengthen the community that we have here through Sedona Mountain Bike Academy that we can really give back and, um, yeah, help people feel like this is a welcoming place to live and also visit. Um, yeah, and then just... Uh, the work-life balance. <laughs> Got to put that yeah. in like selfishly. <laughs> like um, it's it's such a blessing to be able to work seasonally. That was really a non-negotiable with my partner and I from the start. Uh, when we lived in Vail, Colorado, that's seasonal work where you have huge chunks of time that you're working 16 plus hours a day and then chunks of time where you're working maybe one to three hours a day. And when I worked as a therapist, because of the level of acuity of the clients I was working with, that really wasn't an option. You can't just take a month off as a therapist and be like, okay, suck it up to all your clients. Yeah, you're on your own. And I mean, I wouldn't <laughs> want my therapist to do that. So I totally understand. Uh, yeah. But yeah, this, this Sedona Mountain Bike Academy helps us to be able to take time off. Travel is one of our shared passions. And so being able to, adventure for a few weeks, even a month at a time and work remotely or, you know, step away from doing lessons in Sedona. That's, that's, yeah, we, we, we will sacrifice a lot of other perks in order to prioritize that freedom. So I got to put that plug in as part of, part of the perks Heck of yeah. the job. Yeah. So, so you do vacation together as well. Yes, this is true. <laughs> Yeah, of course. <laughs> just, just, want, just to make sure, just to make sure. <laughs> no, oh my gosh. No, yeah. I, I had to, I had to put fun at that, but no, it is so true. Totally. Um, excellent. So what was it about Sedona that really drew you in? I mean, I know what draws me into Sedona and it, it's a very magical place, but what was it about, about it for you? I mean, the crystal shops, obviously. <laughs> yeah, obviously the lower Texas. <laughs> uh, no, the riding. I mean, it's, mm. I mean, I would love to banter with somebody who wants to argue an alternative year round or even just winter bike destination. Um, the access to trails is pretty unparalleled. Like I live in West Sedona and I can pedal five to 10 minutes and access five to six trailheads. Uh, the access to airport was definitely important to us. Um, we were also looking at moving to Durango, also looking at moving to the Bend area and um, just being two hours from an airport was pretty important. Um, and then some other perks like you have Flagstaff an hour away. So in the wintertime, I can go and ski 
within an hour and 20 minutes. And then the summer, if it's too hot in Sedona, I've got some amazing trails in Flagstaff that I can access. So just the diversity of climate within a fairly short radius really makes Sedona special. Um, the terrain, I think I've learned to love when I first moved here. It was definitely like every trail was a full body workout. I think that's a shared sentiment <laughs> talking with other folks. Um, you have to get that's used true. to the slow <laughs> mileage. You have to get used to the uh, undulation. So it's like up and down, up and down, mm -hmm. up and down. There's no like sustained long climbs that I really enjoy enjoyed in Colorado. The like meditative long hour-long spins <laughs> up the dirt road that doesn't exist here. So I've learned to love the technical terrain. And of course, it's elevated my proficiency as a rider. You know, when you ride this type of train all the time, it's it's really uh, effective at improving your skills. Um, but yeah, those I'd say like were the large motivators. No, that totally makes sense. Because I know I've even looked at exploring, you know, we have a van, but just going down to Sedona one winter and just like, setting up shop for maybe a month, you know, I don't know if I can handle that, but like, you know, at least a couple of weeks, um, as long as I have good Wi-Fi. It's because yeah, there's something so magical about it. And I know some folks are like, ah, oh, Moab, Moab, Moab. And I'm like, yeah, Moab's great. And there's nothing against Moab. I love Moab. But like you said, the proximity of the trailheads in Sedona is just, it's, it's wonderful. And it, it makes, it makes biking so easy and you can connect things so easily. Um, without having to go miles and miles and miles down the road. So that is one thing I, I do love. And yeah, I don't know. It is, it does feel like a magical place and you know, whatever, maybe it is the vortex is, I don't know, but it's just so magical. Every time I go there, I always leave feeling like I'm on cloud nine and just so much more like in tune or just kind of relaxed, you know, after I leave there, but maybe it's just magic of the desert. Who knows? Um, I'm so glad that. to hear that. Absolutely. That's wonderful. Yeah. That's great. So, did you maintain trail running? Do you still trail run at all? Or do you just <laughs> mostly focus on mountain biking? I would say I go for a run uh, six times a year. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's fine. That's totally I, fine. Every time I like I'll either hike and I'm like with friends or visiting family um, or I'll bike. And then once in a while I'll be like, oh, let's go for a run. And every time I go for a run, I'm just like, why am I not on my bike? <laughs> No, that, that, so I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm actually a recovering like long distance runner, like gone, gone up to like half marathon, nothing like marathon or ultra marathon or things like that. But I did enjoy running because it's just easy. And of course, oh, yeah. of course being from Florida, like being from Florida, running super easy. You just yeah. hop, run out the door and run to the beach and back and it's yeah. like six miles. Great. But like now, <laughs> now that I've gotten into biking, much like you, I'm just like, oh, every time I run it, I, I don't get me wrong. I love running. But there are moments where I'm like, man, why am I not on my bike right now? I've had like so much more fun. There's there's that freedom of having like the wind in your hair and helmet and things like that. So yeah. <laughs> the downhills, right, so let's talk downhills are just not as much fun running. Just no, they're really not. <laughs> like, you know? Yeah, they're they're really not, you know, especially if maybe you just like crash on your knee or something and <laughs> I don't know, going downhill doesn't feel so great on your knee. I don't know. Uh not speaking from experience. <clears throat> So let's talk about skills and yeah. what you see a lot with your your business, especially with the clients that you work with over the years. What do you find as a common mistake that you see in new and also longtime writers? Hmm. Yeah, you know, I I think there's a lot of things that would be a correct answer to this question, and. Um, I guess I'm, I'll, I'll try to try, I'll try to give an answer that I maybe like haven't heard as much. Yeah. yeah. Um, one thing that I initially all like work to work to seek out from a client, no matter what their skill level is, is I try to identify their existing strengths. A lot of folks mm -hmm. come to mountain biking from previously engaging in some sort of other athletic endeavor. Um, even if it's just, oh, I rode horses as a kid, you know, but like, what is something that your body has done before that could relate at all to mountain biking? Um, so I really try to identify that and then build upon that so that you can almost accelerate the learning curve a little bit and even give metaphors in coaching that parallel their previous experiences to their, their current experience on the bike. 
Um, I think additionally, people are very impatient with themselves. They're very <laughs> self-critical. Right. And this is where my therapeutic background uh, <laughs> shows itself. Um, but <laughs> just just being a, a mirror of reflection when somebody is uh, making certain judgmental comments on their process or setting expectations in a way that's maybe not conducive to their progress. Um, I think another thing I'll say that, that all writers, no matter what their ability level can do to improve their skills is to find their community. And I, I know that's a, the broad statement. Maybe it's just find one other person who you can go on a monthly ride with, but reflecting on my progression, uh, one thing that completely elevated my skill set was riding with other people and specifically riding with people who were better than me. Um, so those are some tips that I would throw out there as being, you know, not, no matter your skill level, these are things that you can do to help, help improve. Yeah. Enhance the strengths. Have people give, have people experience like those instant wins, you know? On oh, for sure. It's so important because especially they're already coming into a lesson like hesitant and nervous and, you know, butterflies maybe like, oh my God, what am I getting ready to do? I don't want to hurt myself. Like I also don't want to embarrass myself sometimes. Like we have all of these like self-limiting thoughts mm-hmm. and then to just not feel confident on top of it and kind of feel like you're not seeing any improvement or like your strengths are kind of supported along the way. Yeah. That just doesn't help anything. So I love that you put your little therapist hat on. Yeah. That resourcing, like what resources do you already have? Like what can you already lean on as a skill that you've mastered? Um, I, yeah, I always ask like if they're a skier, there's so many things that snow sports parallel to mountain biking, um, you know, like really just highlighting that maybe the person, even though they're nervous, they have a lot of things already in their body and ready in their mind that can help them on the bike. So, 100%. Yeah. It's just a matter of applying it. I love it. Mm-hmm. Is that what you encourage your other coaches to kind of foster as well in their lessons? For sure. For yeah. sure. I'm yeah. really proud of the Sedona Mountain Bike Academy staff. I am so grateful to call, you know, all of our staff close friends and um, we are very united and share strategies and curriculum with each other. Um, and it's really an open dialogue of, you know, how would you approach this lesson if this uh, bump in the road came up in your um, instruction, how would you navigate it? Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm confident that across the board, our entire staff is, is meeting clients where they're at and also sometimes being that voice of reason when <laughs> anxiety or fear is kind of distorts our experience. Yeah, no, it's, it's, oh man. Yeah. We got to fear is normal. It's normal, you know, normal reaction, normal sensation you should be having. But, I, yeah, I tell people, I'm like, it. I tell people if this woman yesterday, actually I gave a lesson to a never, ever, never mountain bike before. Um, and she was like, yeah, I know. Yay. (laughs) And she was like, I, I'm really nervous. And I'm like, good. Like I would be concerned for your safety if there wasn't a certain degree (laughs) of, uh, anxiety coming up for you. Like those are the people, Mm -hmm. the people who don't have any, uh, understandable resistance to trying something new. Those are the people they have to worry about because they're going to just do something unexpected willy nilly. So I validate that wholeheartedly. I'm like, great. Thank you for checking in with me. Like I would not expect anything less. Yeah. So funny story. I have a friend who (laughs) is a firefighter and he's, he's awesome. Like loving the pieces. Uh, Firefighter travels the world. He's also a base jumper. He's a new, a newly found in the last few years, base jumper. Mountain biking with him. (laughs) (laughs) Mountain biking with him makes my heart like sink and soar at the same time, because usually I'm trying to chase him and I'm just like, oh my God, how is he going into this, that full throttle? Like it is just I mean, I've had my fastest times downhill usually, but he just has no fear. So like to your point and, and friends of mine, and we talk about this with him. I mean, I'm not talking about him behind his back. 
but like we talk about it and he's just like, yeah, I, I feel the fear. I acknowledge it, but it's mm-hmm. a short lived sensation. Yeah. And he's like, I'm either going to commit and it's kind of a split second decision that he makes. Like, is this within my wheelhouse? Even if it's maybe not, let me at least try it. Yeah. And of course he tries every freaking thing. And it's, it's really quite impressive, but yeah. I always make sure I pack a first aid kit just in case. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh, I usually do anyways. Um, but yeah, he'd have to treat himself anyways, since he's a firefighter paramedic. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So on that note, I love that you mentioned fear and yeah, it's a normal response. And it, you know, you, there would be a level of concern if you weren't necessarily feeling fear. Um, now what about, when it comes to new writers, you know, what are some top things that you think a new writer can do to improve fairly, fairly swiftly? Because like you said, we're not all patient. Like, what do you think? And I, I, I'm under the idea, like, you know, slow is fast type of situation, but that's just me. Um, but yeah, what are you, what are your thoughts on this? What can they do? Um, I experience a lot of newer writers underestimating how much time more proficient writers have spent in the saddle. I think there's nothing to replace the impact of hours on the bike. Um, A lot of folks are very complimentary and say, well, like, you know, how'd you get to be where you're at now and with your skills, your confidence? It's like, do you have any idea? Like how many, how many hours, how many hours, how much time I'm dedicated to this? And you know, still, God willing, will in the future, you know, I hope to continue to improve and spend a lot of time on the bike. Um, But I think about skill work specifically when it comes to improving and getting better, whether you're a newer rider or a more advanced rider, I think people underestimate how many hours and it's not like minutes, it's hours you you need to gain proficiency. Um, I'm a, I'm uh, proud to be a level three BICP instructor. And when I was preparing for that course, it was really intense and um, yeah, a a real uh, opportunity for me to practice self-discipline. I mean, for months and months, instead of going on a trail ride, I would practice skills in the driveway. Um, And that in one hand looks like sacrifice, you know, I'm giving up the fun of being out on the trail or the fun of going on a group ride with my friends, but that's what it took in order to gain proficiency in the skills I needed to, to pass the course. So newer riders, I think among the other things I've said, like, you know, find your community, find someone to ride with, be patient with yourself, build upon your strength. I think also, you know, you're just going to have to pay the piper and spend time in the saddle. And that could look like a 30 minute ride. You know, a lot of my rides are right before dark. All I have time for is like a 30 minute hot lap, but that's better than nothing. And then there are other rides that are all day long, alpine, high, high alpine slogs in Colorado in the summer. Um, so I think, whether it's skill work or it's just bike handling, gaining confidence in the saddle, there's nothing that compares. Yeah. You have to put in the time in your reps. I'm so glad you said that because all too often I do see newer folks on the bike. They look at someone's year five on the bike yeah, and they're only five days or five weeks or five months in. Yeah. And there's just no comparison. And of course there are people who can learn at different rates and things like that, especially various skills, but I see that all too often. And I see it also, even with strength training, you know, they're just like, Oh, how do I get to, how do I get to deadlifting, you know, more than my body weight and how do I, and I'm just like, Ooh, let's, you know, let's focus on form first and like, how do you feel really secure and then get to that? Because yeah, all too often we're looking at someone's year five and comparing, comparing to year today. And that comparison trap can be so, so deadly to progression, Mm -hmm. you know, and just confidence too. So, yeah. So we talked about newbies. Now I see all too often a lot of intermediate riders. So folks, you know, they're no longer a newbie. They pass kind of beginner skills. They really understand bike body separation and and just how to modulate and, and cadence. Like they understand kind of all the nuances of like riding. So there's good solid blue, maybe getting into blacks. Mm-hmm. But then they just kind of stagnate. It, you know, the intermediate land is kind of a land of stagnation a little bit is, is what I see all too often. And I, I have a lot of uh, clients and, and 
just friends in general and even myself to some degree where we're kind of like, yeah, intermediate plus, but then like, how do we do certain advanced, how do we, how do we kind of push that, that envelope? And of course, I'm sure you're going to say, yeah, skill work is really handy too. But like, I don't know, what, what did you find for yourself on your journey worked really well for you? And what do you see for your clients, you know, going from intermediate to advanced? It's interesting. You say intermediate land is a land of stagnation. It's also like a land of comfort. Right. I think Mm -hmm. intermediate, I mean, obviously beginners, they go through the really steep learning curve, but then most people just exist in this intermediate land and they're Mm -hmm. really Mm -hmm. comfortable. I mean, blues are a blast. Like put me on a blue jump line. (laughs) I will be, yeah, just peachy. Like I will ride up until the cows come home for sure. So I think in converse to that, to, really reach that next level beyond intermediate, whatever is in the abyss of beyond there. I think we have to prepare for some discomfort, right? Mm -hmm. And what do we do when that comes up? And what is that experience like in our body and in our minds? And there are lots of strategies to navigate that. You know, we've already chatted a little bit about fear and what that feels like in your body. And there's a lot of resources out there to encourage a closer relationship to discomfort when it arises. Um, I'm a big fan of visualization. I'm I'm a big fan of meditation. I've been practicing meditation for yoga for probably two decades, meditation probably consistently for about a decade plus. Um, And time and time again, that's the... Uh, variable to swing me towards trying doing trying to do a stressful or uncomfortable feature to not you know and over time you build that relationship with your inner voice and when you're looking at a feature that is advanced or maybe beyond that intermediate land comfort area (laughs) um, you have that dialogue with that inner voice and you can trust what's coming up for you. Um, You can use your skills, whether that be hard skills, like techniques that you practice in the driveway, but then also skills like visualization um, to uh, gain proficiency proficiency in those moments. Um, So I would say, you know, that, that awareness of what's going on in our body and our minds and, and being more comfortable with being uncomfortable can help us achieve those more advanced moves um, on top of, of course, doing skills on top of riding with more proficient riders on top of um, being patient with the process, et cetera. Uh, but yeah, yeah I, I still get terrified all of the time, all of the time. There's a new drop that was just built in Sedona. Thank you, trail crew. And it's on a, mm-hmm. it's on a trail called the hogs. It's a series of trails actually. And you know, I was, yeah, I was definitely like quite uncomfortable when I went up there and checked it out. It was well within my skill level, but like it was an invitation for me to practice what I have established both in terms of my inner dialogue and then also my body, you know, checking in with my breath, checking in with how that day had been going so far, et cetera. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, I think one thing that comes up to me when I think about taking things from intermediate to advanced levels. Yeah. And I just had this interesting conversation with a friend actually on my last mountain bike ride, um, about like our identification as mountain biker, you know, and it's kind of like the understanding of, Oh, you know, I want to have a beach body. Well, great. You have a body. Do you have a bathing suit? You have a beach body, you know, as long as you have a beach, great. There's beach body. So kind of the same concept with mountain biking, like validity as a mountain biker, Mm -hmm. if you are just staying on intermediate trails and, you know, maybe you don't want to do jump lines and you don't want to do drops. Does that make you any less of a mountain biker? Mm -hmm. You know? And I mean, have you ever had conversations like this with with other mountain bikers? Yeah. Okay, good. Because it's definitely been a common theme for me. Yeah. So yeah. What what do you usually say in those instances? Because yeah. I think that the most common narrative I hear is that people identify skills as being what they want to be better at, but they don't have any context to why. <laughs> For example, they're like, I really want to know how to manual, right? 
-hmm. and you meet, you know, you meet with them in person and you find out they've been riding for less than a year and they don't even really know what a manual is. They've just at some point associated proficiency on the bike with being proficient as at a manual. And don't get me wrong, yeah. like a manual can be a really, really critical, helpful skill to have in the toolbox. But I would say that there's a laundry list of skills that are that come first, that, that would be more, yeah. more necessary to feeling confident on your bike. Um, I think that you know, really supporting people's understanding of the why, you know, why is it that you feel pressure to be able to do drops? Why is it that you want to be able to do a manual or do a wheelie? And uh, providing empathetic education, you know, not coming from a place of authority, but, you know, walking alongside them and illuminating the deeper understanding or the theory behind uh how skill progression is best proceeded through, right? So like mm -hmm. you've identified this manual as being what you need in order to be a true mountain biker, right? What is the manual? Let's talk about that. And then let's talk about maybe some skills that you could work on to build your skill set to eventually being able to practice that manual and have it in your arsenal. Um, I think that we, in the industry of mountain biking, we often uh get disillusioned by the pros and don't get me wrong like i'm the same as everyone else i love watching red bull rampage but it's very easy oh, yeah. for that to throw logs on the fire of self-criticism it's almost like mm -hmm. i'm i'm not even the same reality as those riders um <laughs> yeah. like we're not even doing the same sport um <laughs> that's how it feels like to me and mm -hmm. I think that's so understandable. And I think that it's all relative. You know, there are people who are just mountain biking, you know, today for the first time, and they're going to look at me in the way that I look at the Red Bull Rampage riders. So just check yourself, like really zoom out, keep things in perspective. And then also look internally and be like, am I having a fun time on the bike? Yes. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. Who cares if I can do a manual? You know, am yeah. I appreciating the fact that I even can ride a bike at all. Am I appreciating the fact that I even have um, a body that's able or the opportunity to experience the wilderness like this? Um, mm -hmm. I think it's so easy to be comparative and, you know, comparison is the thief of joy. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's important to figure out like, why the heck, you know, do you want, do you truly want to do drops and jumps for example? Or do you just want to do drops and jumps because you're seeing somebody else doing it? Yeah, it looks cool. You know, and that's kind of, I will say like just from personal experience, that's where I find myself is I'm like, yeah, I like baby drops. I don't like massive 10 foot drops. Like absolutely not like that. You no, know, I will have a mess in my shammy shorts, <laughs> you know, like that to me just is not, that brings me no joy. You know, there's no way I can Marie Kondo out of that. Um, but like going fast downhill on something that's super smooth and flowy and has berms. Oh Yeah that excites me. And I think it's really important for folks, you know, just to kind of recognize, Hey, what is it truly that gets you going, that gets you excited? And maybe it's not what you're, what excites your friends, you know? Um, and that's okay. That's so okay. Yeah. You're still a mountain biker. Seriously. You know, it doesn't take away from your status as a mountain biker mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important is I think some, some people start to question, well, I need to be able to do this jump line or I need to be able to do this bike park, for example, in order for me to actually be a jump, you know, be a mountain biker. And I mean, technically like mountain biking is just, you're riding on dirt really <laughs> like, you know, in any yeah. type of capacity. So yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thanks for saying that. All right. So let's talk about the universal language of love <laughs> of bikes. <laughs> That's our love. <laughs> um, so you mentioned traveling a lot and you know how much you love traveling and how how does that kind of intersect with your your love and appreciation of bikes i know you talked about your bike tour obviously in asia and things like that so you know how have you kind of proceeded with that and i don't know how how do you see it kind of going in in the future yeah oh man yeah i was i was i was really lucky to be raised in a family of world travelers as i said earlier you know, we, yeah. we didn't follow a convention or, tra or traditional family dynamic. 
Uh, and I, that seed was planted at a very early age, just being exposed to other cultures. I am such a foodie. I love trying foods from other parts of the world. I love interacting with people who don't speak the same language as me, who live differently than me. And, uh, you know, when I found biking, it only made sense that I would almost meld the two together. So my partner and I did that, uh, month and a half long bike tour of South of Southeast Asia. So we started in Northern Thailand, traversed Laos, and then ended in Northern Vietnam. And that was a profoundly impactful experience, not only in terms of my relationship with the bike, but then also uh, a deeper understanding of, I guess, myself and my place in the world. Um, after that, we did another bike tour in Europe. So we spent about us six weeks in Italy. And then I continued on to Sylvania and Croatia and did another couple weeks. And, you know, we've also done a ton of biking in Canada, although that's not as international, it's still not the U S and, um, not here. <laughs> I, yeah, this universal language of bikes, you know, I think it's not only a more sustainable way to travel, but it's a more accessible way to travel, you know, more folks in the world own bikes than own cars. And uh, a lot of places where there aren't resources to build roads or even own cars, a lot of folks will own a bike. And that's the catalyst to uh, their entire family's life improving. You know, that ability to travel by bicycle is, is really the variable that takes them maybe out of poverty. And so, um, I just am increasingly inspired by the influence that this device has, you know, this device, the bike, like it has on the world and I get to use it recreationally, but there are lots of people in the world that live, that live um, dependent on the bike being their source of, of mobility. Um, there was this one memory that I was thinking of before hopping on this podcast, we were in Southeast Asia on the border of Thailand and Laos. And, um, you know, we, we were a couple of weeks into our tour. I was totally haggard. You know, I'm like just hanging on <laughs> It's my first yeah. like real bike tour. And we came across this group of 10, uh, Thai, uh, riders. And they, this was like a bike club in like rural Thailand that was going for their like weekly ride. And they just like scooped us up. We had like, you know, almost no shared language. You know, we were like using broken English, broken Thai. And uh -huh. we like found out their bike name was the tigers. And for like 10 miles, we were like part of their big Peloton. You know, this is like, <laughs> We haven't seen another white person for probably a week. Yeah. Um, and yeah. it was just like this, inc I mean, I get goosebumps thinking about it, but like, because mm -hmm. we were on bike, we had this intimate connection with these strangers and they probably hopefully had a good time connecting with these random Americans on this <laughs> rural highway <laughs> in Thailand. But there's no way that could have been facilitated if we weren't traveling by, by bike. So um, I'm just, I feel so lucky to have experienced those, um, those moments that were, like I said, whole, like completely dependent upon me being on a bike. And I have a countless yeah. list of, you know, other magical moments. I'm sure most cyclists do of just cosmic yeah. interactions with people that are facilitated initially by the fact that we're both on bike. Yeah. 100%. It's always so cool just to come across someone, you know, who's maybe not like you, and you have that shared experience on two wheels, mm -hmm. or three or four, or whatever type of bike you're on. And, you know, what you said earlier about a lot of folks not realizing how much, you know, certain families around the world don't have access to cars, mm -hmm. or traditional transportation, you know, that we're maybe accustomed to, depending on where we live here in the States. And, you know, cause I used to volunteer a lot extensively actually with world bicycle relief mm. and, wow. you know, used to, I used to be the person that would like, sh I can't even tell you how many pedals I've taken off in my life, you know, just to ship them <laughs> off 
uh, to them. And this was in their early years. And it's so important because you do see how much just having access to a bike and some sort of mode of transportation can really change, you know, their livelihood and their accessibility to things. And I'm so glad you see that. Do you have any, do you have any future trips planned in mind? Uh, well, I, (laughs) or things you're dreaming about, even things you're dreaming about. You don't even have to have a plan. The, Okay, well, a few. I'm always scheming the next international trip. Um, I can't help myself. So lucky. I, the the most um, like upcoming trip I have is I'm going to Japan um, for two weeks in Jan in February to ski. So I am not really uh, on the bike brain at the moment in terms of international travel. But my younger brother, he is adopted from Guatemala. And we've gone maybe four or five times as a family, but he just moved there for the imminent future. And so now I really have no excuse other than to bring my bike to Guatemala and bike there because that's been on my radar for a long time, but I've never gone with my bike. So I'm concocting a trip that maybe stops in Oaxaca and Mexico on the way down and then go and bike in Guatemala and then... Yeah. So maybe Agnes will meet me down in Guatemala because I know she is well versed on the amazing terrain there. Um, So I would say that that probably is is an imminent approaching trip. And then, of course, there's British Columbia, which is like the the promised land. (laughs) Like I I never get um, bored with the riding there. And um, hopefully this summer I'll, I'll be able to dip my toe back into all of the amazing terrain that they have, um, up in BC. Yeah. It's, I honestly, it's on my list. I haven't gone yet. Mm. Um, but, oh, I'm like, yeah, I'm dying to go. I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, so yeah, SMBA, let's talk yeah. about coaches. How do you kind of, you know, pinpoint coaches to bring on board and like, how do you know, like who resonates with your mission and, and kind of what you want? to offer through SMBA? Yeah, I think it's become an evolve. It's an evolving dynamic, right? I think staff management is one of the many invitations for growth when it comes to self entrepreneurial endeavors. Um, Yeah. 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 I, like I said earlier, I I feel really lucky to call all of our employees friends. You know, I think that, when we're looking or contemplating at hiring somebody first and foremost, we're prioritizing shared, uh, shared ethos. So do they align with the ethos of Sedona mountain bike Academy? You know, are they authentic? Are they humble? Are they passionate about providing effective individualized high quality instruction? We definitely require all of our staff to have had some sort of previous coaching experience, and that could look very differently for different people. And we also are looking for all of our staff to have certification. So either PMBIA or BICP, um, I think that the mountain bike instruction world is very new, relatively speaking, and as a instructional company, it's part of our uh, part of our job to help elevate the certification. And so by holding that bar and saying you have to have gotten a certification from these organizations, we're helping create that standard industry-wide. Um, I think okay. that there's a lot of dialogue in terms of, you know, which certification path should I take? which one is maybe easier, which one is harder. And I think that is a very interesting conversation. And I look at other industries, for example, like ski instruction, and that's not a part of the conversation at all. And so my hope is that by SMBA holding that line and saying, you need to have a certification, um, we can move towards that industry practice or that best practices model of everybody across the board having some sort of certification. Yeah. That and like just the continued education and seeing oh, for sure. Things. And of course, of course, like recertifying because things change, you know, like, heck, I remember 20 years ago when, you know, going downhill, it was okay to be in the backseat of your, yeah. of your bike, you know, and, and yeah. kind of hanging out over there and, 
completely not having control of your life. Um, one more things, thing, I'll, things, evolve, things yeah. One more thing yeah, I'll yeah. say is that you know when someone approaches us to work for Sedona Mountain Bike Academy, or when I'm looking for a coach to work with one of the things that I encourage people asking is, you know, once less time that you've sought instruction and just really maintaining that lifelong learner mindset. I think that coaches, especially more proficient ones get to the point where they maybe plateau with their own um, lifelong learning. And they maybe say, Oh, I've, you know, I have the highest level certification. Why would it behoove me to take a lesson or take a clinic? So I really encourage people when they are shopping around for a mountain bike instructor, like ask the instructor, like when was the last time you took a clinic? When was the last time you took a lesson? Um, I think that can really illuminate beyond the facade that is projected through marketing or social media, like really illuminate where they are in their own growth and humility. Hell yeah. I know personally, like for me, I try to take a lesson at least once a year, I know. like with other, with another coach yes. at, at a minimum, or I'll hop on someone's even, even their online, like skill thing, you know, yeah. or just yeah. something because I love hearing how other people word things and same thing of in the course. strength world. You know, I love hearing how the cues are and things like that, because then it just helps you find your own voice and like how you want to figure it out and how you want to deliver it to your own yeah. clients, which is really cool. Yeah. You know, because sometimes your initial cue isn't going to work for everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's going to be like, Hey, okay. I need to recruit, recruit a different cue here. Um, so before we hit record, you did talk about, of course, your work with SMBA, but then you did mention wheel fund. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Cause I would love to, to let the folks know. <laughs> so, uh, Sedona mountain bike Academy, uh, we offer, you know, private lessons, clinics, community events, group rides. Um, but my partner and I are also, contracting with a nonprofit that's Arizona wide. And this nonprofit was started in 2018. It's called Wheel Fun. And it offers free after school bike clubs for youth riders. So its original aim and mission was to get kids off electronics and outside on bikes. And the barriers to doing that are often obtaining a bike. So this nonprofit's real unique quality is that bikes and gear are provided for the kids. It's a completely free program for all participants. They show up either once or twice a week after school. And for an hour and 40 minutes, they have a bike, a hydration pack, a helmet, and a volunteer coach to support them through skill progression. Uh, They go on, you know, group rides. They talk about bike mechanics. Um, The Organization also puts on uh, bike camps during the spring break, fall break, and summer break. So, you know, these are kids that maybe don't have resources to go on expensive cruises during spring break with their family. And instead, they can come to bike camp and have a unique vacation away from school and have something to talk about when they reconnect with their friends after break. So we run like I said, three week long camps a year for about 25 kids. We are serving 500 youth across the state currently. So 500 youth have access to bikes and gear after school. And um, in the upcoming 2024 season, we're hoping to expand to another 10 to 13 schools or more. And something I'm really excited about is that we're actually expanding to um, the reservations in Northern Arizona. So working with uh, community leaders there and letting them be, excuse me, our guide in terms of providing resources, not only through the bike clubs, but elsewhere um, to give that opportunity and invitation um, to more rural communities. Yeah. Milo agrees. Milo's over here. He's like, Hey, I like this. I like the sound of that. I support. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. He's giving me the most ridiculous puppy eyes right now. (laughs) That is awesome. You know, I am a sucker for anything that has to do with like kids and just bringing Mm -hmm. everyone on board and just increasing the accessibility to things that are maybe not in their realm right now, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's financially or socially, socially, uh, I think it's incredibly important because man, we want to spread the joy of bikes. And that's one reason I wanted to have you on because yeah, SMBA <laughs> is all about it. And now I know about wheel fun. Uh, and if anyone wants to learn 
more about these. I'm going to share the links in the show notes. So check that out. That way you can you know, learn a little bit more about that and you can kind of learn about how to get some, some education and clinics and in sessions with Emma or anyone on her crew at SMBA, you know, definitely reach out to them. I've done lessons through SMBA. Uh, gosh, I guess it was like two years ago now. And I had blasts. Everything was very nice. It was very professional. And Thanks I love the feedback. bike park. Heck yeah. Well, I love the, the uh, bike park that's mm. in Sedona. Yeah. If we could have a bike park like that here, I mean, we do, we do. Uh, I feel bad for saying this out loud. It's just, it's very well designed in Sedona. Like the pump track actually works and you don't like slow down at all. I don't know, but it's, it is also user error. So I do admit it is mostly user error, but it's Sedona mountain bike. Yeah. That, that yeah, bike park is, is we busy. we love the Sedona bike park, but you know it's an even yeah. better bike park is the one in Flagstaff. What? The one in Flagstaff, oh, I haven't been, is phenomenal. Oh, and so in the summer oh. we do a lot of programming up in Flagstaff at the Fort Tuthill bike park, and um, that's oh. yeah, just so well designed in terms of progression. I find the one in Sedona, you have to at least have a certain base yeah. level of skills, which you of course have. Yeah, but yeah. the the never ever's. It's kind of like going into the deep <laughs> end. Yeah. <laughs> which yeah, is exactly. great. Just push them off the edge. <laughs> which is great because if they can conquer it, they're like, oh, sign me up for anything, right? Uh, but yeah, yeah we, I, it's, we're so lucky to have those resources here. And, you know, going back to Wheel Fun, one of the things that uh, we've recently started to do is actually build bike parks at schools. So we would establish this bike club at a school and, you know, we get them great hardtail bikes from Trek and helmets and hydration packs from Osprey, but then they they wouldn't have anywhere to ride, right? Like Mm -hmm. they'd go and ride around Mm -hmm. the neighborhood. They do skills in the soccer field, but what they really needed was a bike park at the school. So we're actually breaking ground for our third bike park this week. So like when the kids are home for the holidays, the whole parking lot of the school is like, all full of dirt and rocks and they're like bulldozing this grassy area behind the school to create a bike park. And that is not only a resource for the bike club, but then it's also a community wide resource. So anybody in that community can access the bike park after hours when the school's closed or the bike club's not using it. So that's been a really amazing development in terms of not only just offering the after school bike clubs, but then also, you know, this community wide resource that hopefully will sustain yeah, for many years to come. That's a phenomenal concept. Like high five. Yeah. Seriously. I feel lucky to be affiliated. Yeah. They're amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. No, that is wonderful. I never even in my mind would have thought about that, honestly, just because I'm like, oh yeah, proximity, but hello, you know, biased perception here, Jen. Um, Like not everyone has the accessibility to the bike parks and trails and things like that. So good point. Thanks for bringing that up, Emma. Awesome. Anything else you want to talk about? Uh, I know, what a question. Just how uh, incredibly uh, grateful I am towards you and the Shred Strong community. I am like approaching my year two mark of consistent work um, with weightlifting. And um, it's, of course, I knew in the back of my head that it was going to make an impact. um, But now I just... I'm like at a loss of words with how much more stable I feel on the bike and how much more confident I feel in terms of injury prevention. Um, so thank you for all of your unthanked work. Um, I'm sure behind the scenes, there, there are many moments where you feel like it's underappreciated or maybe you don't feel seen. So no. I want to just no, express, no. express my gratitude for the influence you've had on my journey. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that, Amo. I really do. And it's, it's me. It's my baby. Shred Strong is my baby. You know, I do the programming myself and, and it's just nice because it's like every year I just try to bring in some fresh moves and different moves um, while progressing, you know, at the staple movements that are always going to bring you strength and resilience. And, it's and effective. I love it. I love so it. effective. Yeah. So effective. It is so effective. And I'm always trying to make some changes. And, you know, like Agnes, as you know, she's going to be making uh, some yoga sessions for the group. I'm so excited. What an um, added value. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited. She's another gem of a human. Mm-hmm. And 
yeah, so anything, I mean, you all basically inspire me to keep like plugging along and making this my baby. Mm. And 2024 is going to be a big year where I'm going to make some big changes um, just in terms of videos and things like that. So having that encouragement and hearing that, you know, it's all because you're showing up. Like I just set this, uh, I just set the stage, know. you know, but it's like, it's like the consistency. It's all, it's all you all showing up and, but, and really putting the effort. Yeah. And, and you don't show up to something you don't uh, feel connected to. Right. Like you have to have, feel like there's that reciprocal, not only accountability, but just inclusivity and community. So um yeah, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't work unless it was both sides showing up in the yeah. way that we do. So. I appreciate that ammo. Yeah. I appreciate that. Well watch out for twenty twenty four because I have oh, I have some things I'm gonna be doing for the community. So it'll be good. It'll be good. Um, that doesn't don't say oh gosh like it's gonna be I'm harder like, workouts 50, or anything like that. Fifty one percent excited and forty nine percent like okay, no, here we go. No, I mean I'll do no, whatever you put up there. I'll I'll follow you like <laughs> off a cliff, Jen, like you, you're leading the don't way. Don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. We're not at the rampage. <laughs> hey. <laughs> uh, just the idea of free writing makes my armpits sweat. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. No, but that means a lot. It really does. Um, and, oh, dang, I was going to say one more thing, and I'm having, like, a mind blank, I think, just Aww. because, yeah, I'm taking, I'm sitting, I'm trying to sit with compliments a little bit Good more. Good job. And, and that's them. hard to do. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> It is, yeah, and that's probably another reason why my armpits are sweating a little bit right now. <laughs> I'm like, well, yeah, thanks, Emma. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah, appreciate that. Oh. Um, anyways, oh wait, I did my last question, so I didn't even give you this question because I want it to be kind of on the spot and make your armpits sweat a little bit right now. How do you make shift happen in your oh, life? Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, uh, if you asked me five years ago. I would say something that was like pretty aggressive or like intense, you know, like mm -hmm. I make shift happen through hard work, through self-discipline. Yeah. <laughs> and I think yeah. <laughs> if you looked at my astrological chart, not to get too woo woo, but like that would all Madonna. make sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's for another podcast. Uh, but as of late, I'm I'm really trying to like step into this new dialogue internally of like giving myself grace and um, being a little bit more gentle and fluid about how I navigate my day-to-day -day choices. And instead of there being this like aggressive driving persistent force, have it be a little bit more um, dynamic and intuitive and fluid. Um, and that has worked for me in really kind of like broadening the energy that I step into doing something with, you know, instead of it being like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna like make shift happen by, forcing myself or like holding myself to this high standard or criticizing myself to the point of feeling guilty that I have to do it, you know, like, um, instead of that, it's like a little bit more, like I said, yeah, fluid. Um, so I, I think that that is an ever evolving intention. Um, but I think it's a little bit more sustainable. I think it's a little bit more forgiving and, uh, spacious. And it invites room for spontaneity and yeah, a, a, a greater capacity for like self-love. Um, so that's, I think that's, that's my goal. And maybe like I'm achieving that in moments, <laughs> but, but mm -hmm. I think that's, that's my goal of like, that's how, that's, that's my starting place is I'm making things happen from that initial intention. Oh yeah. That resonates so much with me. And I don't know what sign you are. I'm kind of learning a little bit more of like astrology, you know, again, sound like woo -woo. I'm a cancer, oh. but I'm like cancer Leo cusp. Like I'm oh. July 22nd. So I'm the last day of cancer. Um, all about making the home, but yeah. then I'm also all about, you know, fluidity and, and, and I'm appreciating a lot more. I have, yeah, I have a recommendation for someone. If you yeah. ever wanted to dive deep into that. Yeah. She's, 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All profound. Right. She's amazing. We'll talk about it. We'll totally <laughs> talk about it. All right. Well, I so appreciate you coming on. Of course. What an honor. wisdom and experience and... And it's so nice to see your face. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for what you do for our community and um, gifting me this invitation. It was it was just such a such a pleasure and totally mm. made my day. So thank you so much. Yeah, the feeling is mutual. Oh. Well, folks, check the show notes. I'm going to include all of the links that you need to in, or, in order to learn how to get some lessons in with SMBA, maybe even specifically Emma or any of her wonderful other coaches. Um, but for now... I'm going to say bye to you all and bye to Ammo and I will catch you all next week. Much love.